we're in the book of Matthew, as you know, um, which is one of four accounts of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus of Nazareth. It's called a gospel because it is the good news of salvation to those who believe and accept the words written in the accounts. Now, Matthew's account is, is divided into five parts, a part where Jesus is teaching for a length of time and a uh, moving into the plot. Now we are in, Matthew does this because it's, he's trying to say that the words of Jesus are a new and better Torah, which were the first five books of the Old Testament and were considered to be the most important part of God's law. So we're currently in the last section of that, the last, the fifth teaching of Jesus. And it's also the last week of his life before he dies. So this section of teaching started back, if you remember, in chapter 24, after Jesus has told them that the temple would be destroyed. They then asked, when would these things be? And we've spent the last several weeks talking about Jesus's response. He said there will be signs prior to his return, like false prophets, false Christs, famines, earthquakes, people from all nations responding to the gospel. He also showed that showed that his return would be clear and visible when it comes, even though we don't get a perfect roadmap, as we kind of talked a little bit about last week. And at the same time, <coughs> excuse me, his principal desire for the disciples in answering their question is to stay the course, stay awake, and stay alert, because it will not be at a time when we expect, which brings us to our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, we'll do 1 through 30. <clears throat> yeah, sorry if I cough some. I'm still recovering from my sickness, as many of you prayed for. I appreciate that. So Matthew 25, 1 through 30. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents once went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, (coughs) You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant to outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a pretty, pretty intense parables. <clears throat> and my first point that Jesus is making here is that there is an eternal kingdom of heaven. So before we even jump into the parable, it's important to know what Jesus says. He states the kingdom of heaven then will be like this. To remember, we've seen Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven since the beginning of the gospel. In Matthew 3 and 4, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand, and we need to repent. And he goes throughout the gospel talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for many from the east and the west, for those who become like children, and for those who righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. So all this is saying is that there is a kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God. This life is not all there is. Jesus assumes this. Like From the entire gospel, he doesn't say there's a kingdom of heaven. No, he's telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like and that it's here now. However, it is tempting for you and for me to believe the opposite. My temptation, our temptation, is to believe that this life is all there is, that every opportunity, every joy, All the things we experience are only in this life and for this life. And it can feel that way. You know, um, as many of you know, my my dad died in January. Um, But before I came back to Kuwait, I wanted to to visit the grave. And when you you stand there and look at the, the stone, the date of life and death, the mound of grass, um, where his body was, I mean, that seems very final that seems very sad very ending like there is there is there anything beyond this this looks pretty final and we can all think this about life that life this is it no but jesus is saying this is not true this life is not all there is 
And this is because Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. All of our hopes and dreams and life after death are wrapped up in this person, in this man. <clears throat> and isn't this what we want? We don't want to die, right? There is much to explore and to do and to be. But because of our limited lifespans and the unknowns of the future, we can't do a lot of it. We try. I mean, I've tried to do a lot of different fun things, but I can't do it all. I would love to see the whole world. And I've gotten quite a few countries on my, on my list, but I don't think uh, I'm going to make it through all of them because life has gotten faster with having kids and, and family moving forward quickly. I would also love to get better and play with a professional orchestra. I'm actually a musician. My undergraduate degree is in music education, but I have a job. I don't have a ton of time. That's not something I'm going to be able to pursue either. So just imagine with me a, a world that's without death, with endless possibilities and opportunities, with loved ones, both past and present, and under the banner of a king who can fulfill his promises and his campaign slogans better than any politician ever could. So this, this hope, this dream, this kingdom of heaven, this is what Jesus brought to earth. And we should be excited about this. The king has come. We know this because Jesus himself conquered the sin, death, and the grave. Spoiler alert for the end of the, of the book, Jesus dies an ugly death on the cross, receiving the wrath of God. However, he comes back to life three days later and appears to his disciples and over 500 other people. And we just read that he will come back one last time, this is last week, one last time in power and victory as lightning goes across the sky, not as a humble and marginalized, marginalized person unrecognized by the world. So how do we get into this kingdom? To be part of the kingdom of heaven, we need to believe in the king. We need to believe that there is a kingdom beyond this world, beyond this life. We need to believe that Jesus is the one who brought this kingdom by his life on earth. We also need to believe that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, showing us the way to live. We also need to believe that he died on the cross for our mistakes, for our wicked deeds and thoughts and actions, <coughs> taking the punishment that we deserved. Then he rose again on the third day, proving to God the worthiness of his sacrifice and demonstrating what this kingdom will be like, a kingdom of life beyond death. If you believe this, you will have entrance into this kingdom. This is what it means when Jesus says things like, we need to be more righteous than the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, because they were the most righteous on earth in terms of the, the Jewish faith. But if we have the righteousness of Christ, we can exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees if we believe that he died for our sins. We all, he says we need to receive the kingdom like children, which means humble dependency, not based in ourselves, but based on his work. And if you have any questions or doubts, whether you believe or not, please let me or someone know. You can be a part of this kingdom. <clears throat> and for those of us who are Christians, we need to remind ourselves and be reminded of this truth. It is easy, so easy, to get caught up in the busyness of life and building our own kingdoms 
that we completely forget about God's kingdom. This is why Jesus says earlier that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Why does he say this if not to warn us that the things in this life, like money, are a delusion? And every one of us have far more expendable income than Jesus and all the original hearers of his teaching. So he's talking to us. So what do you do? One thing you can do, and I've tried to incorporate into my devotions, is to spend time each day or each week imagining what the new heaven and new earth could be like. I mean, just imagine the countries that we can explore, the friends and family we can interact with, seeing and talking to ancient Christians, travel, spaceships, uh, like I said, playing in the orchestra, beholding God in Jesus with our eyes, physically knowing him and finding out the meaning of different events in my life on earth. Like there's all these things we have questions about. Why did this happen? We'll get all those answers. <clears throat> so the first point is we need to know and believe in Jesus's kingdom. The second point is that Jesus wants to make is to be the wise virgins who are prepared and ready. We need to remember that Jesus' most pronounced and favorite way of teaching was to use parables, which were like stories from everyday life that reveal a spiritual truth. And this story of the 10 virgins, meaning the, the bridegroom, is something that the reader in the first century would have understood. They would have known this. <clears throat> so to bring us up to speed, you know, in those days when a couple got married, there would be ceremonies and a small celebration at the house of the bride. After this was completed, then the bride and groom would go to the groom's or the groom's family's house for the wedding banquet and feast, which would last about seven days. And this is where the marriage is, was consummated. And it's not too different from the customs today. You know, when I was getting married, um, my my parents came up and visited. So they hosted the rehearsal dinner where we rehearsed how everything went. They paid for that small part. But the main portion of the ceremony and the reception was paid for by my wife's parents graciously. Um, so it's, it's actually, there's some, some parallels that exist today. The reader also would have understood that it's normal for bridesmaids or these virgins to escort the couple back to the groom's parents' house, from the bride's parents' house. It'd usually be around nightfall, so they would illuminate with their torches, their lamps, uh, the way for the couple as part of just what they did, the customs of the day. Then they would come in and enjoy the feast and celebrate the couple at this banquet. <clears throat> However, in this story, um, we can understand that it's likely that the bride was already at the father's house waiting because she does not come with him and the groom is delayed for some reason. So you've got the foolish versions. They're the ones who, they only got the oil for their lamps for the typical amount of time that the bride and groom would arrive, usually around nightfall, beginning of the night. They did not plan for any contingency which had come up. The wise virgins, on the other hand were of course prepared. 
They had extra flasks of oil with them. They also likely assumed that it would be a typical early evening, but they brought those extra flasks of oil with them just in case. So they all take a nap because it's taken a long time. But they were roused when they heard that the groom was finally coming to the wedding banquet. The foolish ones had already used their own early in the evening. The wise ones refilled their lamps with the extra flasks, but they didn't have enough to share because they needed to escort the groom to the father's house. That was their job. That was their mission, their goal. And the foolish virgins went to buy the oil while the wise maids did their duty to illuminate the way for the groom to head to the father's house for the wedding feast. By the time the foolish virgins returned, it was too late in the evening. And the groom said he didn't know them because they did not accompany him to do their duty. <coughs> so therefore, the groom rejected, the groom is, is God, is Jesus, rejected the foolish virgins and said he did not know them. What's scary about this story for me is that the virgins wanted to go to the wedding, at least in theory. They had knocked on the door. They wanted, they asked to be invited to the wedding feast. You know, this is not like the other parable Jesus has of the wedding feast where people ignore him and they, they have their own affairs, their houses, their wives, their cattle, right? But these bridesmaids, because of their foolish choices, were not allowed in. So does this mean that Christians can be rejected because of making a foolish choice or by not thinking about his return all the time? No, that's not what I'm saying. You know, I had silly thoughts when I was in high school too, like if the last thing you did was commit a sin before you died, would you go to heaven or hell? That is not what this is saying. The foolish maids were not truly focused or concerned about the groom. They were happy to be along for the ride and hopefully enjoy the banquet, have some fun, have a party. But if they had real concern for him, they would have been prepared. These were not true believers. And we see this in our day. You know, there are many people who have gone to CIC because of the social aspect to make friends, uh, to meet somebody of the opposite sex, something to do. And they can sing the songs and take notes on the sermon, but they're not truly invested. They're not interested. They're just there because it's, a, it's Friday, it's Kuwait, it's hot. We'll go inside, get some food, meet some people, see how it goes. And maybe they are flirting with this idea of being committed, but they're not there yet. And if you think this is you, do not wait, right? But confess and believe that Jesus is the king of the universe. Just like Eunice in that first song, um, there's no reason to wait. It's a, good, it's a good time now. Today is a good day. Today is the day of salvation. <clears throat> so Jesus, his point, which he says, is that we need to watch for his coming because we don't know when it will be. What this means is we need to have a kingdom mindset. And a kingdom mindset is always being aware and ready that Jesus could come back soon and to desire this. Now, what I'm not saying is we need to think about this every everything or do some weird rituals 100% of the time. Because even in the parable, they all took a nap. So naps are okay. You can rest. That was not looked down upon in the story. However, the wise maids had a mindset that they didn't know when he was coming and were committed to seeing him to the father's house so the wedding could take place. 
So how do we practically today have this kingdom mindset? I think this needs to be something that we incorporate into our daily devotional or quiet time if we have one. You know, while you are praying through your psalm or meditating on a passage of scripture, there should be an acknowledgement from the heart that we believe Jesus is coming back we are, and that we are excited for his return. You could pray something, something like this that I've prayed before. Jesus, thank you that you have started a kingdom. I ask that you would come back and finish and fulfill that kingdom so we can live with you forever. Please help me to stay ready for your return and not be consumed with only the things that are in my life. Amen. Now, of course, it's not about the words, not about repetition, but it's about stopping to acknowledge in our hearts and souls that Jesus is coming back that our hopes and dreams truly should be set on him and he will fulfill his promise to make all things wonderful and new. So we need to know that Jesus has a wonderful eternal kingdom, that we need to have a kingdom mindset. And my third point is this, that we need to invest long-term in God's kingdom. That brings us to our second parable, the parable of the talents. <coughs> In the parable of talents, there's a shrewd and wealthy landowner who gives his slaves different amounts of money to invest. Now, to be clear, if you're thinking of a talent as a coin, it's, that's completely wrong. A talent is worth about 70 po 75 pounds of gold or nearly 20 years wages in biblical times. So even for the man who received the one talent, these were vast sums of money, huge amounts of money that he gave to his slaves. So he gives them the money. He goes away to conduct his own business, and two of the servants get right to work investing and using the money to make a profit. And they both end up doubling the amounts that the landowner gave him. And this is no small achievement. If you know anything about the stock market, the stock market they say is the best way to invest your money. And that receives on average a return over your lifetime, about 10%. That's your average yield from the stock market. So these two slaves made a 100% return. So they must have done some risky investments and some shrewd bargaining. And probably a lot of sweat equity went in to double their master's money. <coughs> Excuse me. And it says that after a long time, the landowner returned and both of them were rewarded. The master praises both of them and then gives them additional authority and responsibility because both used faithfully what the master had given him and kept working until he returned. They were rewarded by being promoted and they got to receive and enter into the joy of his master. The third slave, on the other hand, he makes a completely different decision and has completely different consequences. He put his master's money in a pit and made no investments and went about his normal life. When the master returns, his excuse is that the master is a hard and evil master who takes without giving. And the master has some strong words for him. He calls him wicked and lazy showing that he put no effort, none, into investing his master's funds and wanted to live his own life, even though he was a slave. He, the owner, the, he was owned by the master. 
the, the landowner then uses his own logic against him saying, if you were really scared and thought that he was a cruel and demanding landowner, then why didn't he invest it and put it into the bank so he can make some return? So he calls him out on this bluff because he didn't fear or respect him. He did nothing to invest his money. So he took the talent and gave it to the one who had 10. Then he calls the servant worthless and casts him into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here, Jesus pretty much dispenses with the metaphor and basically says that person is cast into hell because that was the, the common usage of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is, is hell. And Jesus spoke more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And he's saying it here again. So we need to remember, though, that this is a parable about the final state of the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. And what's the principle that we need to take away? We need to be thinking long term about investing in the kingdom of God. The parable of the ten virgins showed that we need to always be ready and thinking and hoping for the kingdom. This parable is to show that we need to be thinking about participating in the kingdom. Participating in the kingdom. It's one thing to be prepared, which is good. We also need to be active. It's not waiting around. It's not just sitting idly. I'm ready for you, Jesus. No, it's being active, investing in God's kingdom. So some applications. There's quite a few that you, we could take to this. <coughs> you know, first, we need to believe in the kingdom of God and hope for it to come. Also, like in the parable, we can invest and give our money to the kingdom. There are many wonderful Christian organizations that are designed to help the poor, bring the gospel to the unreached, and teach Christians to grow in the faith. The master gave those sl slaves money to invest. And, so, and even our money, right, is actually God's money, just like the slaves. They didn't have that money. The master gave it to them. And even our money is God's money that God gave us the ability to make, and we should give it back to him in some way. We can also invest our time into the kingdom of God, our time. This starts with spending time with the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And I want to challenge you that if you are not doing this, if you're not having some sort of regular time with the Lord, with Jesus, I want to encourage you to spend, start out with something small, like 30 minutes a day with the Lord. And there's practical ways you can break this down. You can do 15 minutes of reading. You can read through a psalm. You can do a book of the Bible. And then you can pray about what you read. You can also have a personal prayer list for people, personal needs that you want to be met, just meeting with the king. <coughs> That's how we start investing our time. Also, we can invest our time into the lost, right? It does take time and effort to talk to people about Jesus. I said this before, right? Relationship-based evangelism presupposes you need to create a relationship. And this is what the kingdom of, of heaven looks like, right? We build relationships at work, at the coffee shop, at restaurants. And we lever leverage our relationships to talk about Jesus and share our faith with people. We also need to invest our time into the church. And thank you all that you've been coming faithfully online in a less than ideal circumstances for over a year. So thank you for that. And you have been faithful. I'm not saying you're not doing this, but this is just to encourage us and to stir us up by way of reminder, as it says in Peter. And if we are to go to live again, which I'm, we'll talk maybe a little bit about at the end, 
It's going to take quite a bit of help to get the service up and running again. It's probably going to take something from all of us. And this is also investing in God's kingdom because the church is the primary driver of the kingdom of God throughout the earth. We can also pray for each other, encourage one another, make a meal, use our gifts, a myriad of ways that we can invest in the kingdom. So let's start so that we want to hear what I want to hear and what you should want to hear at the end of our lives is, is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Just to explain, Jesus says in verse 29 that to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So to make this clear, you know, how did these slaves get their money? First, they were given it by the master. Second, two of them invested it in the kingdom. So they got their money first by the master, by the money they were given, and also says by their ability. So God gave them that too. So I think what Jesus is saying here is that they have this mindset that they were given a lot by their master. They made the most of it. The one who hated his master put it in the ground and wasted it. He thought he had nothing and did not love the master. He thought he had little, but he still had so much. But because he thought he had little, he did little to invest it and to have more. So we as Christians in Kuwait, we've all been given in abundance, especially spiritually. And we need to recognize and use what God has given us for his kingdom to increase spiritual dividends. Right, we, Many of us have grown up in the church, have, have listened to thousands of sermons in our life, have heard great messages. Have, some of us have had theological training. So I think when he's talking to us, like we need to use the gifts that God's given us. We have skills, and not just, not just skills in terms of understanding the Bible, but sound and media and all the different things that we can use that can be used for God's kingdom. <clears throat> so we need to recognize and use what God has given us for his kingdom. We need to realize we've been given much because where most of us are all college educated, that's already far more than the average person had to when Jesus was preaching. And if we think that God has dealt only harshly and hasn't given us, then we're not going to, we're not going to invest in the kingdom and it will be taken away from us. So in conclusion, let's remember that there is a kingdom beyond this earth where all our hopes and dreams are found. We need to be ready for it to come and ask Jesus to make it come by having a kingdom mindset in everything we do. Finally, I want to be thinking long-term about investing in his kingdom so we can have the rewards and the joy of our king. And to one last concluding thought. Most of his parables were about the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about being something small and valuable that will continue to grow. If you think of the, the mustard seed, the, the treasure in the fields, um, the, the, the seeds that get planted, right? However, in these parables of the bridesmaids and the talents, he shows that the opportunity to be ready and contribute will one day be over because the master comes back or the bridegroom comes back and settles accounts and it's over. And I don't want to be, we don't want to be the ones who are unprepared and who have lived only for this life only. Let's make it count while we have the opportunity. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for 
your word, that your word strengthens us and it gives us hope and it gives us a future. And I pray God for myself and for my friends that you would help us to believe and to love and to invest and to expect your kingdom. God, this is where we're going to find joy and find hope and find life and find beauty and find strength. God, I pray that you would strengthen us this week with these words that we know that you're coming again, no matter what happens, no matter what negative circumstances are around us or even positive circumstances. God, we know that your heavenly kingdom is what we should be looking and waiting for and putting our time into. And that is what you've made us for, God. You've designed us for this. And this is where we can find satisfaction in this life and the next. And I pray that you bless the rest of this service and bless my friends. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.